If you would uh, continue standing a bit longer if you're able to, and take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 18, that's on page 59. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in front of you in that pew slot. Otherwise, Exodus chapter 18. And to begin our reading this morning, I want to read through the first 12 verses of Exodus 18, and then, Lord willing, we'll pick up and try to finish the rest of the chapter as we go through our time together this morning. Thank you guys for leading us as we sang to the Lord this morning. We're grateful for your service to the Lord. This is God's Word for us this morning, and beginning at verse 1, this is what God says. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. Uh, The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, uh, I, uh, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that they had come, that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people Uh, from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, with Moses' father-in-law, before God. You may be seated. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for uh, that Your Word is not some ordinary Word. It is Your very words. And so our prayer is that You would open our hearts and eyes to see wonderful things from Your Word, that You would, by the very power of Your Word, that You would be at work in our hearts, changing us, being at work in our midst through Your preached Word. Help us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 18 provides a 
a, a transition for the book of Exodus. In the broadest sense, the entire book of Exodus is divided into two major sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 17, which describes and depicts Israel's deliverance from Egyptian captivity. And then the second half of the book, which we haven't got to yet, which we'll start on, Lord willing, after today, is chapters 19 through 40. And uh, in this section, they are at, the, at Mount Sinai, and this is where the Lord reveals His law to the people of Israel. So in chapters 1 through 17, there's Israel's deliverance, and in chapters 19 through 40, there's Israel's duty as God's delivered people. Exodus 18 uh, is the bridge between these two major sections of the book of Exodus, and uh, this bridge chapter has two segments to it. We've read the first segment here uh, in chapter 18. Both segments involve Jethro, which, did you count how many times we're told, happens to be Moses' father-in-law. So, um, kind of making sure you got that point, but but, but both sec sections, segments in chapter 18, uh, Jethro looms large. It's so intriguing that we, we find him in such a, a, a linchpin segment of the, the book of Exodus. Well, what we've just read in the first 12 verses uh, really wrap up the first half of the book. The first half of the book in chapters 1 through 17 uh, describe Israel's deliverance, rescue from Egyptian captivity. And uh, they, they climax, they, they reach a crescendo uh, with this confession that we've just read uh, concerning something that Jethro has just said. We'll look at that in just a moment. But then, uh, in a minute, we'll pick back up in verse 13 and read down through verse 23, and that will set up the second half of the book. Uh, that, and it, it pertains to Jethro as well, some advice that he gives to Moses and Israel. And so, uh, as, as we come to look at chapter 18 this morning, there's two things I want us to look at, both of which stem from the words of Jethro. Uh, in the first half of, the, of chapter 18, we want to look at the confession of the Redeemer's people. And then, uh, in the second half of chapter 18, we want to look at something of the conduct of the Redeemer's people. Or another way to, um, to orient us to this chapter this morning is remember that the emphasis throughout the entire book of Exodus uh, has been on that everyone would know that the Lord is God. Chapters 1 through 17, that through the mighty act of the exodus, through the mighty act of God redeeming His people, that they and all the world would know that the Lord is God. And yet that theme of, that runs throughout the book of Exodus will continue in the second half of the book of Exodus, but, but it, it, its orientation shifts. Uh, the emphasis is still upon knowing that the Lord is God, 
But in the second half of the book of Exodus, we will begin to see something about the Lord as God through, not through the Exodus event, but through the giving of the law of God. All right. Well, here we are um, at near Mount Sinai, we're told, in chapter 18. Uh, and um, uh, there's a reunion uh, with Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. And Jethro brings with him Moses' wife and, and two sons. Jethro has heard, word has gotten back to him of all that the Lord had done in delivering the Israelites from Egyptian uh, captivity. Um, and uh, to, to fast forward this, look at verse 8 there of, of chapter 18, where uh, Moses summarizes uh, the mighty acts of God. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And, and yet, notice what it says ne next. Interesting, it doesn't hide this, doesn't keep this from them. And all the hardships that had come upon them in the way. We, we've, we've just read that from in the past several chapters about the, the difficulties of the journey from the Red Sea to now at the base of Mount Sinai, the lack of water, the lack of food, the lack of protection, and, 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 and yet uh, those hardships, um, uh, it, it, we're told there, and that's end of verse 8, and how the Lord delivered them. And what I want you to see next, though, is what's recorded of Jethro's response. We're, t we're told there, first of all, in verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. But it's what Jethro says next that is the clarifying crescendo up to this point in the book of Exodus. We, we are very intentionally arriving at this location. Particularly, we are very importantly arriving at this confession. Notice what it says. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Oh, the book of Exodus has been working to this point. The, the Lord has been about the rescue and redemption of His people so that His name would be known and exalted. All the way back in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, where when the Lord first appears to Moses and begins to disclose to Moses his plans to use him to rescue the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. And uh, you remember in chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? 
What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say to this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Who shall I say is sending me? You let them know that the Lord God is sending you. Or in chapter 5, when Moses appears to Pharaoh and begins to disclose to Pharaoh, you're going to let the Israelites go. The Lord has told me to tell you that. In chapter 5, verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. <laughs> Who's this guy? He's about to learn who this God is. Or in chapter 9, verses 14 through 16, as the Lord was speaking through Moses himself to uh, Pharaoh, uh, reminding all who would listen what's really at stake, what's going on uh, through the plagues and ultimately through the deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. In verse 14 of chapter 9, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For, for by now I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people with pestilence uh, and, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We've been shown throughout the book of Exodus something of the heartbeat of the God who made us. And the heartbeat of the God who made us is certainly it includes how he graciously redeems and rescues a people for himself. But he redeems and rescues a people for himself so that his name might be exalted. How, how do I know I'm in touch with reality? How, how do I know that, that, that my life is, is in congruence, is, is consistent with uh, what God has done and is doing and will do on this earth throughout his entire universe. Well, who do you live for? Whose name are you seeking to make great? The entire flow of history is is designed by the God who designed this history. The entire flow of history is designed so that God's name would be seen as great above all things. So that you and I, in seeing that, that our hearts and souls would receive satisfaction from that so that we too would live for the name of the glory of God. Whether we walk through happy seasons 
or whether we walk through hard and difficult seasons. And certainly I can tell the difference between the two seasons, but whatever season of life that we are in, we could say in the broadest sense, we know the design behind those seasons. Those seasons are designed so that you and I would see something of the greatness of our God and that we would live for the greatness of His name. Jethro is being used by the Lord to instruct Israel in what is utmost in terms of importance. He comes into the camp and he says, now I know, I know, I know that there is no God greater than the Lord God. And and yet now we pick up and we read the, want to read the second segment of the, of chapter 18. And this second segment segment. Again, it pertains to Jethro. Um, and, and yet this second segment uh, sets us up to how the rest of the book will unfold. That we'll spend the entire rest of this book at, at the base camp there at Mount Sinai, in which God reveals the greatness of His name through the unveiling of His law. But let's pick up and see how, how this segment of chapter 18 sets that up. Look at verse 13 of chapter 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present... Uh, no, I'm, I'm back in chapter 3. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not good. There we go. Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. He said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and uh, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves." So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure 
and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Jethro uh, displays models for them what it looks like to confess that the Lord is God. And, and, and now, intriguingly, interesting enough, Jethro is used to instruct Moses uh, concerning the conduct of the Redeemer's people. So the very next day, uh, Moses gets up and starts doing his work of, of giving instruction in God's law and instructing the people and judging, uh, uh, making decisions, verdicts for people. And, and Jethro, we're told uh, in verses, uh, verse 14, he observes all that's going on, and, and then he inquires, like, what are you doing? And Moses explains what he is doing. And then, and then Jethro gives him some advice. Look at verse 20. Verses 20 and 21 really is the heartbeat of Jethro's advice. And I, want, I just read them, but let's go back and double up and read them again. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Now, on the one hand, what's intriguing about this is Jethro is telling um, Moses to convey to the people of Israel, explain the law and the statutes of God to the people. Now, what's intriguing is that in the fullest sense, those laws and those statutes don't come for another chapter or two. And, 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 yet, and yet, what we're seeing is God is already at work preparing the people to understand the law of God, and that Moses has had a, a key role in doing that up to a point already up to this moment, and, and, and yet now as the law is about to be given in its fullest form, its fullest measure, beginning in chapters 19 and 20 and really on throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, uh, we, are, we are getting an orientation as to uh, how important uh, the giving of the law will be for the people of Israel. But, but not only would, would Moses there in verse 20 uh, be given the charge to uh, teach them and to warn them about the statutes and laws of God, to make known to them the way in which they uh, should walk and what they must do. He says then, couples that in verse 21, uh, moreover, uh, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds of fifties and of tens. Now, on the one hand, Jethro has, has given Moses some just very practical advice on how to set up and structure the nation. And, and yet, this section and the, and the particulars of Jethro's advice to Moses is much, much more than a mere lesson in managerial logistics. Oh, it is that. 
slice up the people into, man, into more manageable segments. And, 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 and yet, the, the, the real focus, I think, of this section is not about how, how to set up a structure of an organization. Oh, it includes that. But the, but the real point of, of Jethro's advice is not about the how, it is about the who. Who to put in place. And once again, even though the law hasn't been fully unveiled yet, Jethro is orienting Moses and orienting the people of Israel uh, to set people in place who know something about the law, who, whose, whose moral and spiritual qualifications are commensurate with the teaching of the law. He says, uh, uh, select for yourselves from among the people able men. Now, on the one hand, able or capable is just a very generic term. Able or capable of doing what? Well, I think he clarifies that. Uh, what he means by able or competent men in this segment is, is men um, who meet the the. the the traits that are immediately listed there. And the first thing he says in speaking of able men in verse 21 is men who fear God. Now, really what he means by that, to, to say someone fears God, what he means by that is someone who lives in a true, genuine relationship with the Lord. Someone whose relationship with the Lord is not superficial, but earnest. And later we're told um, in the book of Proverbs that, that the beginning of wisdom is, the, is, is predicated upon fearing the Lord. And, and so, in other words, without some sort of genuine, earnest relationship uh, with the Lord, these men, no matter what kind of managerial sense they might otherwise have, these men are not the able and capable men that God would have in mind for such a task that He's putting before Moses. Second trait he lists. Not only are they able or capable in terms of they fear God, but, but he says that they're, that they're trustworthy. Whereas fear God, I think, describes that there's something of a, of a relationship with the Lord. Trustworthy, really, I think, uh, is a, a very uh, horizontal description. That, that these people have... Uh, a, a, a genuine relationship with other people, that people know them and that they know other people, and that as people know them, people know that they are reliable, they are faithful, they are trustworthy. And then he injects in there a, a, a third uh, trait that would qualify them as being able or capable. He says that they would hate a bribe, whereas Fear God describes that they would have a relationship with God, whereas trustworthy would describe that they have relationship with people. I would suggest perhaps that the notion of hating a bribe means that, 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 that their own relationship with their own selves is that which is built upon honesty and integrity. They're not, they're not something externally uh, that they are internally. Or, uh, there was a, there's a consistency there. They're not pretenders. And how crucial will that be upon the nation of Israel that these leaders 
qualify themselves in terms of having a relationship with God, being trustworthy before people, and being people of integrity. They don't, they don't cheat. They don't cheat people. They don't take a bribe. They, they, they render a just and a righteous verdict in how they lead. And yet my point is, is, that, is that this sets us up to what is next in the, in the rest of the book of, of Exodus. Because to say, well, able and capable men who fear God, who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe, what's the objective criteria by which we describe those things in fuller detail? Well, the next segment that we're about to embark upon is the giving of the law. It will be the law of God that will describe in fuller array, fuller detail, how God's redeemed people are called to conduct themselves. How God's redeemed people, if you would, are to act. And that the very structure of that nation was designed to be a structure in which men of a certain moral and spiritual qualification would be put in place to provide leadership to the people as a whole. Not simply that the people in, in the men in leadership would reflect these values, but they would model these values because these values, these moral and spiritual qualifications, are pretty ordinary. They are just the qualifications that, that anyone who names the name of the Lord is to seek to strive to model in their own life and in their own experience. Or, let me summarize chapter 18 like this. The first segment, verses 1 through 12, um, link us with the first 17 chapters of the book of Exodus. And the thrust of the first 17 chapters of the book of Exodus is something like this. Stand still and see the hand of the Lord as he delivers his people. And as you see the hand of the Lord in delivering the people of Israel, what do you say about that? And Jethro models what is to be said about that. There is no God like our God. Now, press that a little bit further. Fast forward through the pages of Scripture uh, and even the, the, the passage that Carl read earlier before we prayed together, where it describes to us in very clear language that there is no name given under the earth by which men must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and why is that? Because there's no one who is like Jesus. There's no one who has done what Jesus has done. And, the, and the, the, the first thing that the Scripture would want any and every one of us to know this morning is they would, that the Scripture would want us to see something of the glorious, saving work of Jesus. That Jesus took on flesh and became a man. He lived as the God-man. 
And in living as the God-man, he lived a life of perfect obedience. The only one who's ever done so. But living that life of perfect obedience qualified him, as none other are qualified, to go to the cross and there at the cross be our substitute. That he took upon himself our sin and that he paid for our sin at the cross by suffering under the curse and punishment of our sin so that any and all who trust in Jesus could have their sins pardoned because they would be fully paid for because of the work of Jesus at the cross. Any and all who see the wonderful hand of deliverance in your life because of what Jesus has done to remove from you the penalty of your sin and to remove from you the the bondage of your sin. All who look to Jesus and confess that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. That's the confession of the Redeemer's people. And then what we will see played out in in the weeks to come now as we embark upon this new segment of the book of Exodus is that the Lord's redeemed people will now be given systematic instruction on how to be God's people, how to live as God's people. That the very statutes and instructions and the law of God is to show us another facet to the nature and character of our God. The very law. Why does the law say this and not that? Because the law is just simply an extension of revealing more of the nature and character of who this God is that rescues a people for himself and then describes the direction that that people are to now now live. And in this next movement of the book of Exodus, we we are to see and understand how the, who the Lord is as He reveals Himself through His law. And as we see and understand how He reveals Himself through the law, uh, that we would begin to walk in His ways. And as we begin to walk in His ways, we would carry out the next phase of our assignment in life, if you would. We would model before the world something of the nature and character of God because we strive to imitate the nature and character of God by being people who live out His statutes and His ordinances and His laws. Or the way it would be said in the book of Titus in the New Testament, uh, which I think plays out very nicely as to the two movements in the book of Exodus. In in Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's That's what we've just seen in the first 17 chapters of the book of Exodus. The redeeming, rescuing, saving, delivering hand of God. But then he says in verse 12 of Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us people to whom salvation has come, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. 
And that sets us up for what's next in the book of Exodus. To behold that the Lord is God by the giving of his law. So that we would show, you and I would show that the Lord is God by how we live in conformity to his nature and to his character and to his law. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that there's no word like your word. And so our prayer is that you would impress upon us, first of all, our need for a deliverer, and that you would open our eyes and show us the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, secondly, Father, for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would show us the next segment of our lives, that you have given us your wonderful, beautiful, true law, the law of perfect liberty, and that we would behold it as what it is, a beautiful thing, for it reveals who you are even more, and that we would live by the power of your Spirit, by the very indwelling presence of Christ, that we would live as a lawful people, so that your name would be honored through our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able...